0: This is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron.
1: Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world you know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just I love that.
0: Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine BTR. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine BTR. And now, all about wine is on. Here's yeah.
2: Okay.
1: All right. Thank you, Buzz. People, thank you, thank you. Oh. They went back to drinking awful fast. Uh-oh. Am I there?
0: Oh, I'm not there. Okay. I had my, oh, okay.
1: My <laughs> I started to panic. i was talking. Yeah, I, I do and most people got quiet real fast, today. they went back to drinking, and then you didn't say anything, and I thought, oh, no, I'm lost again. Here we go. But, you know. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was talking, but I had to hit the little button for my microphone, so.
1: Okay. Okay. I really started to panic a bit there. I really did. All right. Um, <laughs> welcome to All About Wine, our September 21st, 2023 edition. I don't know. Yeah, I guess we can say this is episode number whatever, but I have absolutely no idea how many episodes we've actually done, so I can't do that. Yeah.
0: But Uh, there was I found somewhere. I thought it was like 600. uh, I think Blog Talk Radio has uh, 740. Oh no, that's ours. It's in here. Is it? Yeah. Six hundred. 650 episodes.
1: 650. All right. Boy, mm-hmm. we've been doing this since 2009, and we still got nowhere near 1,000. It's going to be forever. Uh, yep. Yeah, you know, well, I guess, you know, 52 weeks a year, or so that's, and we don't mm-hmm. do it every week because we do have, we have had our issues, so. Yep. Uh, so, uh, yeah, 650 is pretty pretty good number. Mm hmm. Ask you before our little girl jumped in and started the show on. Is I understand you're doing a first and fifteenth on Flightline Radio.
0: Uh still working on it, and I was going back and forth with uh, Phil and uh, Cap, and uh, doing a test. It was uh, I did a test on Sunday, and um, the stream is playing, but the titles were not coming through. So it it look if I let it play, it looked like I had a the song that was playing before that is over an hour long. So I have to fix it. <laughs> um, have to get the titles out there. And, uh, but it was automated, and that was good. Um, just working on, on a way to, to do it with the titles and everything. And then uh I did a test with All About Wine, and the show played from Blog Talk Radio. But again, the titles were messed up. So I've been going oh, back and uh-huh. forth with support. Yeah, I've been contacting support and trying to find – I've got two softwares running right now that that are going to run all the time and and download the latest episodes and then I have another software that's going to upload the episodes and I just that's what I'm working out now. So wow. God, I can't stop but yeah. um, wow. well I'm trying to find a, a automated way so it'll get in there somehow.
1: <clears throat> Flightline Radio um, everyone be sure to tune in flightlineradio.com it's Mike's uh Streaming station on all the music you've heard before and have never heard before. And he is also live on Saturday mornings from 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And I have to say that because Flightline Radio and All About Wine are listened to around the world. So we need Mm -hmm. to be sure that they get the proper times on those. So yeah,
2: uh,
1: good time. Mike does a good job on it. He started he using okay. Friday nights, and I was listening to it a lot more than the Saturday mornings. That's it is early. <laughs>
2: it, it is yeah, early.
1: yeah, <laughs> seven, seven, nine. And I sometimes catch the last half hour or so, but you know, not okay. not seven o'clock. Yeah, that's. I'll leave okay. that for you, okay. young guys. Yeah. You know? you know. <laughs> <Okay. Okay. laughs> well, um I try to get up Yeah, yeah. Get up and get it done. I can just see you getting up, stumbling into the to the um uh, mix board, just hit play and then stumble around for a little bit, go get your coffee and come back in and sit down and
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Take a while. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: so but Flightline Radio, uh Check it out. They have, uh, a, like I say, 24-7 streaming. You can always put it on your computer in the background and listen to it. And and not a whole lot of advertisements either. You can tune it in and in the background. You Actually, don't have to worry about, you know, yeah, you got other more. Than,
0: uh, uh, well, other than the, um, you know, the little IDs, and then I do one for uh, all about wine on Thursdays and then one for uh, meeting DJs or DJs can apply, uh, yes. We went ad free the weekend, also, so I don't have oh, to. Oh, really? To, yep, don't have to. Uh, yep. Um, so, uh, not saying that we won't have any uh, if it if it comes up to that. I <laughs> think more than yeah,
1: you never know. That's right. Uh well, on so weekends, really, uh, I I hardly ever listen on weekends. I'm usually playing golf. You know.
0: It's up. Yeah, it's a uh, commercial-free twenty-four-seven uh, now. But I started oh, it, it last weekend.
1: Um, oh, okay.
0: Yeah, so,
2: All right, very a,
1: good. Well, there you go. You don't have to, maybe. you know, tune into it and just and play it in the background. That's really a good way to do it. Just you know, turn yeah. the thing in and play it in the background, and while you're yeah. browsing your computer or reading emails or laughing at different memes or whatever you're doing, that's that's a good good way yeah. to keep yourself entertained. So. <laughs> good no advertisements that's a cool thing yeah almost almost like serious radio there you just know no advertisements
2: yeah
1: so all right we are supposed to have a guest coming on pretty soon here Uh, Jim Butler from Butler Winery is located in Bloomington Indiana Uh, and so uh, He's supposed to be contacting us. That's oh, already, what, seven after? Ooh. Uh, I wonder where he is. And I you gonna know, say we'd call him, but the problem with calling him is it would interfere with our Facebook connection. Hmm. Calling him. They gave us his phone number and said this is his number, and I confirmed this afternoon that he needs to call in to us a few minutes after 7 at our guest call-in line, and uh, he hasn't yet, so, well, while we are waiting, geez, I always hate this when we get confusion like this, because I usually don't prepare for anything, And now, all right, this is something that I'll go through with you while we're waiting for Jim to join us. This is out of uh, Chain Drug Review. It's a a magazine I get. I still get it when I was working at the winery, and I still, still have it coming in. It's from September the 4th. Uh, so last week, excuse me, actually more like two weeks ago, isn't it, September 4th, but it says, Private Label Wines and Spirits of the Toast of the Town. It says, Raise a Glass to Private Label Wine. Okay, now Private Label Wine is when you have uh, a company like, uh, I don't know, any of them, any in, name of a wine company, and a business or a store or something gets a hold of them and says, we want you to make wine for us, but we want to put our label on it so that uh, we can sell it. That's actually what Aldi's does. If you've ever bought wine at Aldi's, they have their line of wines, and it's made by a... They don't have a winery or tanks or vineyards or anything. They buy the wine and have the labels put on it. There's... I want to say six or seven big places in california that do that that make private label wines for pretty much anybody everybody and they're not bad I mean, okay let's i i'm not criticizing it the private label wines are, are decent but most of the time the places that do private label wines or that want private label wine stores like to keep the price within their price category for their store and so because of that it uh, makes a difference in quality of grapes and things. You know, that all comes into play. But it says that the dollar sales in all U.S. outlets jumped 9.1% uh, for the 52 weeks ended June 18th, versus the same period last year, jumped 9.1% to $52.2 million. Private label. Uh What's more unit sales grew eight percent for the same period so it's it's private labels are jumping up but a lot of the time private labels is a little bit less expensive than others and people will find one that they like and continue to continue to buy it Store brand spirits also have jumped up uh, by three point two percent to five point two million dollars so the private label is is really a, a Pretty big, uh, uh, oh, uh, pretty big. Oh, there's Jim. Uh, pretty big market out there. So I'll cover some more of that uh, at another time. But we do have our guest sitting in the background, sitting in the green room, and uh, we'll bring him on. Hello, Jim. Welcome to All About Wild. Hello.
3: Hello, Ron. I seem to have been given the wrong phone number, but I found you. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh.
1: Well, I guess we know who to blame for that, don't
3: we? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Lost in translation.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I'm glad Glad you, you tracked us down. I was sitting there going, wait a minute, Jim, should be here. and you know, Maybe Angela transposed it or something? I don't know. Uh,
3: we'll we'll figure that out
1: later. Yeah, well, you're here, that's what counts.
3: Yep. So, uh,
1: Butler Winery, that is located in of all places Indiana, Bloomington, Indiana. Uh
3: It is, when one, it, is it is, yes.
1: Yeah, you know, one does not immediately think of Bloomington, Indiana when one thinks of wine. Uh so uh I'm going to ask you Whoa. to start out here telling us the story. You, you know,
3: how far back do you want me to go?
1: Uh, well, you can pass, jump past your growing up and your formative years, but you know, let's. Uh, well, I was
3: going to go back to 1802.
1: 1802. Okay, I understand the reasoning for that now. So do that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but Indiana's
3: <laughs> been a wine-producing state for a couple of hundred years. Hmm. In fact, the first successful commercial wine production in the country is said to be in VV, Indiana. Mm -hmm. So, but our story starts, uh, we opened up in 1983. I'd been the winemaker at Oliver Winery for six years before that and decided to leave, you know, how restaurants and chefs travel around and such. So, we opened up in uh, 83, and so we've got 40 years in now. Wow.
1: That's quite some time. At same location?
3: Yes. Yeah, actually we have two locations here in Bloomington. We have a downtown location which is at this point just a tasting room, but that's actually where we started the winery. Then we bought the property for the vineyard in 1991. Moved all the production out here, and so this is our main focus, but we still have a downtown tasting room.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, how many acres do you have now?
3: We're growing between five and six acres right now.
1: Okay, and uh that's right next to the winery then
3: yeah, it kind of surrounds the winery, yes of
1: mm-hmm. uh, you uh, uh let's see, I was looking at your the the uh, story of the winery and all that, and uh I noticed you attended the University of Minnesota. Is that where you' got your uh background for wine
3: um I got a master's there in aquatic ecology. Um, what so basically, call? it's, like, yes, it's uh, like oceanography, except it's fresh water instead of salt water. So I just tell people, we're just turning water into wine now. Yeah. Well, just, the so, reason I
1: laughed is, you know, I mean, it, the difference between what you've got a master's in and what you're doing is not really related. <laughs> you know.
3: Well, uh, it's, very, it's all chemistry. Um,
2: yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Water
3: chemistry. So I had undergraduate at Indiana University here in Bloomington in biology and chemistry and then went up there for three years and worked on the lakes up there and then we called it three winters and then we moved back to a more southern climb here in Indiana.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's funny. you We're, we're in Florida and it's funny you say southern climb in Indiana.
3: Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's all yeah. relative. It
1: is. It is at that, yeah. Um, so, uh, you opened up the winery in, uh, what, 73?
3: 76? 83. 83, okay. Oh, that's... 83, yeah. Yeah, okay. I worked at uh, Oliver Winery here in Bloomington from 76 to 82, and then we opened up in 83.
1: Okay. And uh, what uh, when you first opened, did you have an idea of what grapes you were going to be using, or... Has it just been, you know, the roll of the dice, and what's working?
3: Uh, we're pretty much focused in this area on a lot of the French hybrid grapes that were developed in the late 1800s, mid-1800s. When Phylloxera got to Europe, the French did two things. They crossbred uh, North American parentage into vinifera, and then they decided they could graft onto rootstock. So. Most of what is here is, you know, it's on its own roots. It's uh, the, those older French hybrid varieties.
2: Uh huh. Okay.
3: There's some Minnesota. There's some Minnesota varieties here now. People are growing as well, and people, we planted uh, vinifera twice. The Polar Vortex took out our Cab Franc. Uh-huh. Uh, we tried some Tanat and uh, a similar thing, but we we can get winters of uh, 10 to 15 below zero on occasion. Which, as you know, uh, takes four that, years to get a commercial crop. Yeah. If that happens every five to ten years, it puts a lot of pressure on the home <laughs> <vineyard> that way.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. So
3: these, these varieties with that little bit of North American parentage are more winter-hardy. But the, the really nice thing is you can lose a vine down to the ground. You've still got the root system. It's not grafted. You grew up a new vine the next year.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so well, you that's don't, true. You
3: don't lose four years. You lose maybe one.
1: Does the uh, ground get cold enough there to freeze the roots at any time?
3: Not really. No. Not really. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, freeze depth here is you know it's two feet, but the the roots uh, are there's no problem there.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're they're down quite a ways. That's one of the problems when you get further north that roots get frozen and that kills it all there. Um, mm. Uh, are, you, are you not using any of the University of Minnesota uh, winter hardy grapes then?
3: We have a neighbor down the road a couple of miles who's growing Marquette for us. Oh. And, um, uh, it's, you know, it's, those grapes are developed for a short season. So here it's ripening in mid-August. Oh, wow. It's still 90 degrees out. And so the ripening goes relatively quickly. Um, it's a short window. Sugars can go yeah. way up, um, <laughs> and then you're also picking when it's hot. But the, you know, and the birds love it. The birds love the <laughs> early small red berries.
2: Absolutely.
1: Oh, I bet. Yeah, I bet they do.
3: <laughs>
1: and it's too much of a hassle to net, so just you know, don't grow yeah, it. Yeah, we
3: man. started netting uh, every. Well, not everything yet, but uh, certain varieties two or three years ago, because the birds have just been an increasing problem, and I see this in a lot of places. I think it's learned behavior. Um, so the netting, you know, you can do the scare eyes, you can do the distress the calls, but the netting is really what, you know, keeps them out
2: 95%. Wow.
1: So it's, you it's a tedious
3: are... task.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. You, I, I just, i surprised that you're netting there. I didn't realize that the birds were getting that bad. I mean, I... Oh, well, I suppose Indiana is right in a fly path. So.
3: Yeah, yeah. And we're know, seeing that's... birds here that we've never really seen before in the vineyard. The uh, orchard orioles, uh-huh. they're just little vandals. They'll come and sit on a cluster and they'll peck every berry like you're sitting there popping bubble wrap. <laughs> yeah, you know, A robin will take a berry and fly off with it and eat it and come back for another one, but these guys are vandals. Oh, gee. They're just taking a little sip out of each berry. Uh,
1: And just destroy it, Yeah. know? Uh, Yep. Mm -hmm. Is the netting tight enough to keep them out?
3: Uh, It is, and then they get caught in it when they try to fly out. Oh. So it's kind of, they can be self-destructive that way.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Their
3: head's just the right size to fit and get caught in the netting. Oh, well, that's that's too bad for them. Maybe... (laughs)
1: Maybe they will learn. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Pass it on. Oh, look, Jim's caught in that. Maybe we should stay away from that. <laughs> you know. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you, before I get and talk about your wines, you wrote a book. You and your son. That's right. Yeah.
3: That's right. Yeah, oldest son. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Indiana so, wine. Indiana. Uh,
3: mm-hmm.
1: And uh, is it, this? grapes wine wineries what what is the book
3: it it's the uh history of wine in indiana i had heard about the uh swiss settlers in vivi which is switzerland county on the ohio river in kind of southeast corner of indiana and the more i researched the more i found the more fascinating it became and it was a family of french-speaking swiss that settled in kentucky in 1799 1802 in that period and planted grapes uh they brought 35 varieties from philadelphia and new york that they found and planted them there and all of them died except for two and when oh, wow. land came up for sale in indiana they moved the whole family up there just on the river and uh, that's kind of the seed of uh, commercial winemaking in the area predated cincinnati which was the wine capital of the country up until the civil war so 1805 or six, first harvest, and it was probably gone by about 1830. So there's, you know, there's various economic uh-huh. factors why, but uh, that was kind of the first commercial wine production in the country. Wow, so that's, that's kind really of what right. the book is about. And then we had a second little phase there in the 1820s, the uh, in New Harmony, the Harmonites, which was a German religious group that settled there and uh they were there for about 10 years and then they moved back to pennsylvania mm, okay so, so people from bb uh, moved to cincinnati and then people from cincinnati moved up to the great lakes area and then you know herman missouri that came on in the 1840s 50s and you know that that was the biggest wine production area until california started coming on in the 1860s
1: all right yeah um the I, I've been to uh, Indiana, southern Indiana, along the border, across the border over into Kentucky and the wineries and, and around around Kentucky there and all that. And uh, mm-hmm. it's fascinating. I, along the Ohio River, uh, quite a few wineries in that area there. Yeah, and yeah. I had the opportunity to visit quite a few of those. Uh, but uh, I, the only winery i visited in... Indianapolis was it? Yes, it was. No, Cincinnati. It was. There was one downtown Cincinnati that I visited. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of great wineries along along the river there in Indiana. They're yeah, there's
3: a viticulture, the Ohio River Valley viticultural area. Right? Oh, it is from, an ABA there. Yeah. Yeah, from yeah. the Indiana Illinois border up through up West Virginia, you know, roughly 20 25 miles each side of the river. There's oh, kind of an okay. airflow pattern through there, and yeah, then where yeah. we are, Bloomington on South towards the river is the Indiana Uplands AVA, and that's a more recent one.
1: Yeah, I, I've, uh, I, I've, uh, whenever their new AVA starts coming out, I always talk about it on the show here, and uh, I try to educate people on AVAs because most people aren't mm-hmm. familiar with them, you know, which is sad. But no,
3: mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. well, there's over 200 in the country, probably
1: 250 now. Yeah, they, we're number and two. We're number
3: 20.
1: 213. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they are—they're all over the place, and you know, but most people aren't familiar with what an AVA is, and, which is really <laughs> really sad, considering you know all the effort and everything that goes into it and the distinction of the soils and everything. So.
2: Hmm. Uh,
1: but trying to keep people educated and as much as I can on this show here. So uh, uh, the book is available through Amazon.
3: Um, the book is actually out of print, but you can get it on Amazon as a used oh. copy.
1: Oh, okay. So Indiana: A History, or Indiana Wine: A History, and Correct. Uh, published by Indiana University Press. It's 2001.
2: Right. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Anybody's interested in it, then you can, you know, Amazon, I guess, has copies available, uh, or what is the other book company? I can never think of it. Always think of Amazon. But yeah, there you go. If anybody's interested in the wine, it sounds like it's interesting. Uh, you did some good research on it and a little background of that area and
3: everything. That this was a fun little uh, mystery story, actually, just. We did a lot of this research really before Internet, and uh, a lot of writing to libraries. We found a lot of original documents in French that we had to wow. translate and uh, decipher people's handwriting. So I say it was kind of a little okay. mystery to solve. But, and since that time, I've, I've been contacted by numerous people who are descendants of the Dufour family or, you know, found a document in the trunk of their car in uh, Las yeah. Vegas, you know. Just all sorts of things have happened.
1: Oh, you need to do a follow-up, you know. Uh, well,
3: that takes time. It, it's on the agenda.
1: Okay. <laughs> not, time, <laughs> not time to push you, it, but it's just something you need to <laughs> start putting the notes together, you know. That's, uh, mm-hmm, exactly. You know? Um So, you, uh, uh, let's see, here we go. Wine. Your wines. That's, I want to talk okay. about all of your um
3: uh, mm-hmm.
1: you uh have how many whites
3: well, you would ask me a question on the number of whites we have three dry whites, three semi sweets uh we do a sweet catawba. we do a peach, I consider that a white wine mm-hmm. so we do I think we have about twenty three wines on the list currently, wow,
1: yeah. Uh, so let's talk about your dry ones. Uh, uh, that is, you get that from New York.
3: That we buy from New York, yes. Okay. And we just do a simple, simple fermentation, uh, you know, nothing fancy. It usually has a nice little crisp character to it, and we call it White Select, and, uh, People come in, you know, people always come in and say, what do you have that tastes like a Moscato? What do you have that's a <laughs> uh, Pinot Grigio? What do you have that's a Cabernet? They say, well, we don't oh, grow yeah. any of those, but here's what we grow, and this is going to be similar. So, you know, White Select is kind of a dry Pinot Grigio, no oak, you know, straightforward, mm-hmm. good, clean, fresh. Just a little bit of acid to give it a little,
1: little bite there, and it kind of mm-hmm.
3: you that, yeah. Yeah, we also grow Chardonnay, Chardonnay, and we do that kind of more of the full Chardonnay barrel ML style wine. Uh huh. Now, unfortunately, this spring we had a frost, and we have essentially zero Chardonnay. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's a small crop this year. But on before that, we right before Christmas, Christmas Eve, the day before. We were forty one degrees in the afternoon, and by morning it was ten below zero.
1: Oh my
2: gosh!
3: so on chart now, that took out you know ninety percent of the primary buds, and then secondaries are coming out in April and around april twenty fourth they got frosted, so we had a kind of a double whammy this year. Oh we've been God. growing grapes for thirty years, and we've had two frosts of this magnitude, but they've both been in the last four years. so you oh know we're seeing God. that earlier bud break with a little bit earlier spring. But we're still getting those variable temperatures that can, uh, you know, bring us a frost. And uh, so we're kind of being set up for more frost damage than we've had in the past, I think.
2: Yeah. So oh, part yeah. of the
3: answer to that is, you know, varietal selection. We're on a hilltop here. We're 300 feet above the uh, Bean Blossom Valley.
2: Uh, well, that that's offers
3: us yeah. some Go protection. On. You know, maybe on a cold winter morning, it can be 10 or 15-degree difference. Yeah, but we
1: Well, the the frost. I, I remember Missouri had a serious problem that same year that you had that frost problem. They lost a yeah, lot this, of their crop.
3: Yeah, this frost was from uh, Wisconsin through New York this year. Oh, so New York uh, even has a smaller crop. Wow, we're getting these uh, polar outbreaks. Uh, if it's midwinter, you know they call it the cyclone bomb. We oh, get these yes. real big temperature drops. So it's, it's kind of this you know, changing climate thing we're seeing. I've been and tracking really... weather records for for 30 years, and you can see it in the averages and, and the statistics.
1: And, and you know, just uh, people talk about climate change, and they immediately think about well, we set a new record for heat this summer. But it's also the variations and things like those frost and hail mm-hmm. over in the in uh, the Burgundy region of France and stuff like that. These are all right. Attributed to the climate change. It's not just a heat wave or something.
3: Right. You know, uh, so part of it's varietal selection, and we have some three-year-old Saval Blanc, and they uh, they went through the dropped to ten below and the spring frost and we actually had to do a little uh, cluster thinning on that this spring because the crop was too heavy on it.
2: Oh, really? So you know,
3: some uh-huh. of these varieties are, are very hardy. Uh, Saval blanc, more or less, will broom all summer long, and so you have these clusters of very different ages. So I've always heard that Saval had to be cluster thinned, and uh, now I see why. I mean, we usually <laughs> do some you know, normal cluster thinning, but this is excessive. So that might be one of the more
2: yeah that's
1: uh well that could be a good thing and that way if a frost comes in you still you're not destroying the whole thing you know
3: right the um, other variety that we saw good response was Norton we've got some four-year-old Norton and that came through fairly well
1: Norton is a unusual grape I had uh yeah, oh, I can't think of a name now, uh, but uh, an expert on Native American grapes, and he was talking about the Norton, and he said it just it's being grown all over the place, and it's made sweet, and it's dry, and it's withstanding winters, and it's surviving heat, and Norton has just become a, a phenomenal grape for everyone, it seems. Yeah, you know,
3: as you say, it's an unusual grape. It has its own particular taste but um, you know we haven't had a lot of experience with the winemaking of it uh, Norton was the grape that the Germans out in Missouri and Herman based their industry on back in the 1800s mm-hmm.
2: yeah
1: and named after
3: you... Dr. Norton
1: yeah yeah uh, and it's planted all over the Midwest in fact there is a winery that is well, I had a winery up uh, not well, about forty five minutes from here and there was one about fifteen, twenty minutes from where I had my winery and he put Norton in the ground uh about eight years ago and it's growing yeah. and he's getting good results with it. So uh, oh, yeah. and it's not we, being affected by Pierce disease.
3: Okay. Yeah, we find it's it's slow to get established. And we're yeah. on uh we we call these uh, ridge top farms here. You know they were kind of they were farmed for 150 years, and most of the, the good soil has been eroded away. So we're on a fairly low productive soil. So if, Norton can be overly vegetative, but for us it doesn't appear that it's going to be that way.
2: Oh really?
1: Oh. are you planning on making it in a dry stall or a sweet stall or
3: a, a, uh, dry, a dry style? Day? Yeah,
1: dry. Yeah,
3: dry uh, barrel age style.
1: Okay, because I've I've tasted Norton in every style imaginable. I mean, people have <laughs> done, done everything with it. No, I, I've had some good uh,
3: Norton Rosé.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, I've had I've had Rosés, which isn't bad, really. Uh, in fact, there's a winery, and I'm trying to think of where it is, and for the life of me, I can't right now. But there's one that's making a sparkling wine out of the Norton, and. Hmm. He says it's it's turning out really quite well. So I, I don't know. Okay. It's is just being used and made in the, the gamut of uh, possibilities. So it's interesting. I it's think the large
3: the largest planting right now I've heard is chrysalis vineyards in Virginia. There's like forty yeah. acres of it or something.
1: Mm. Do the they don't call it Norton there, do they? Don't, isn't there another name? That... Uh, uh,
3: the other name is Cynthia. You run across that out in yeah. Arkansas and parts of Missouri.
1: Okay, Cynthia. Genetically,
3: That's I, I think genetically they've been shown to pretty much be the same grape. Yes. Um, one person told me south of the Missouri River they call it Cynthia. north of the Missouri River they call it Norton. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm
2: not sure. I'm not, I'm
1: not sure not about that either. i'll
3: that
2: well
1: <clears throat> Yeah, yeah I'll, have to, I'll have to check into that. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard of that before. You know, since that's why. I always forget. I, Norton has become the most common name for it yeah, now. Yeah,
3: that's but,
1: the name we use, yeah. Yeah, the name, most everyone uses. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Um, so, it's... Uh, I'm going down through your list here. Your next dry wine, a red select. Now this one it seems to be quite a blend here. Uh
3: um, yeah, Chamberson is the main red grape we grow. Our neighbor grows Marquette. Um, nice. once in a while we'll buy some foch or cherbaca noir out of New York if we need to kinda of fill in. But again, this kinda of goes along with the white select. It's a uh uh, non-oaked, uh, straightforward, dry red. You know, it's a little on the lighter side. It's a, good, it's a good summer dry red, or what we say is sort of an introductory dry red.
2: No, but
1: it just
3: dry lighter fruit-forward style.
1: Not, not a lot of tannins. Just uh,
3: Correct, uh, yeah.
1: One that goes well with lighter foods and stuff. Yeah, that, that, sounds, that mm-hmm. sounds good. Uh, and then the variant... That is... The
3: variant is a variation on the Chambourcin, so we blend Chambourcin with Marquette. Uh, Marquette thing's grown down the road, and we put it in oak uh, for six, seven months. Uh, it gets a pretty good balance. You know, none of the grapes that we're growing here are highly tannic, um, mm-hmm. partly it's the climate, partly it's the grape varieties. So I usually tell people, we're going to be more like a Pinot Noir than a Cabernet. We're not making big Cabernet style. Wines mm. here in the Midwest, um, they were a little on the on the softer side,
2: and very
1: that's,
3: food friendly.
1: And that's just what's and that's what's good to have with food because you don't have that tannins that are going to be overpowering any other thing mm-hmm. you put in your mouth. You know, that, right? You know, the uh, the Chambor and then
3: our alcohols tina. run around twelve uh, percent. On the oh, upper side, once in a while we'll get a Chardonnay at thirteen, but generally eleven to twelve percent is where we come out. So again, they're not uh, the high alcohol styles.
1: Which, if someone's looking for something that's a little bit lighter and fruitier, then these wines are perfect for that because you're keeping those alcohol levels down, and mm-hmm. uh, it's not going to be this this Bernie alcohol sting that you find in a lot of California wines that make these wines at, you know, 16.5%, 17% alcohol.
3: Right. Yeah, we are 180 degrees from what California does.
2: Oh,
1: yeah. Our
3: uh, youngest son and his wife just moved here about a month ago, and they've both been working in Napa Valley for, I don't know, 12 or 15 years. Oh, wow. So they're bringing a huge amount of experience here. Um, So it's kind of fun. He grew up in the winery here, so, and uh, she's from Chile, so she's in Chile and New Zealand and South Africa and Germany and Switzerland and California. Wow. You know, young people, you can get two harvests in, you know, Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. That's why these these young people get a lot of experience, uh, traveling back and forth and doing a lot of different things in different places.
1: Yeah, and, uh, and when you're young, you can do that stuff. and, and That's it's right. Just,
2: it's, <laughs> you know,
1: as you get older, it's just like, oh, I'm so tired. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't think I want to fly down there this
3: year.
1: It's more 20 uh, hours a day. And that's, <laughs>
3: that's
1: right. <laughs> uh, your rosé, your Chamborthin uh, rosé, is that uh, uh that's, real dry uh, rosé?
3: It's about a half percent residual sugar usually. And uh chambersin just makes a fantastic rose. It's got this real nice aroma. Strawberry kiwi, um, mm. sometimes a little bit of uh grapefruit. I usually don't put grapefruit on the tasting list because people see grapefruit and it's like, Ooh. No. But it's, it's a little bit of the aroma. But it just it's one of for for the people who are real I'll use the word viniferous knobs. Mm-hmm. This is one that they kinda of raises their eyebrows and they go, Oh, I like that. You know, people come in looking for that Cabernet and uh, say, We don't make Cabernet, we don't grow it here. But uh Chamberson is a, a really good workhorse red for us.
1: Yeah, it seems like you're using quite a bit, on uh, throughout the your portfolio.
2: Mhm.
1: Um and then semi sweets. Okay, now, these these are interesting. I was looking at these earlier, and it's simply because it seems like you're uh, using a little bit more of the uh, American grapes on this, uh, the um, Vignole and Chaminet and stuff like that.
3: Yeah, Vignole is another French hybrid. That's the first grape we planted. People used to think it had... uh... Pinot Noir in the parentage, but genetically it looks like it probably didn't. Um, there's mm-hmm. a little, tiny little town in France called Vignol. I don't oh. know how they would say it. But um, the <laughs> Traminet that Traminet came out of southern Illinois, I think, is where it was maybe bred. Uh, what that has Gewürztraminer parentage.
2: Oh. Gerber- oh. Gerber- oh, does it? And, I didn't uh, know Traminet has
3: mm-hmm. Gerber-
1: Oh, I, I never knew that.
3: So it's got yeah. some of that uh, uh, floral character that comes from the uh, Gewürztraminer. Yeah. And so we do I, a straight Traminette, and then we do a, a little sweeter blend. We'll put put it with the Dol Blanc or uh, just some other white to tone down the Traminette a little bit.
1: Hmm. Oh, I notice you have two Traminettes, though. You have the uh, the South Shore White, and then than the, the straight varietal traminet Why Why the difference?
3: Right. Well, the, the varietal is 100%, so it's got a lot of that floral aroma. The South Shore White is about a 50% blend, so that tones down the Tremonette uh, flavor, and then we do it as about a 4% residual sugar, whereas the Tremonette is usually around a, maybe a 2% residual sugar.
1: Oh, so you get a little bit sweeter on the blend, I'd say,
3: Mhm,
1: yeah, and people like that sweetness, so sometimes I have one that is just a little bit sweeter. uh the yellowwood white
3: the, the yellowwood white that is uh usually a blend of vignole with uh cayuga white or Vidal blanc. Vignole when it's picked earlier, has that peachy pear aroma. And then if you get the later you go in the picking, the more tropical it gets. So we do a late harvest vinele that's very
0: sort oh, of wow. tropical
3: pina colada. but uh in, in the yellowwood white, they say it's it's toned down, uh, but you still get this sort of the peachy pear apricot character. Okay. We usually do two pickings of vignole, one for the yellowwood white or the vignole, and then the, we do the late harvest later.
2: Oh, okay
1: uh... what uh... uh... well the late harvest i gotta ask about that what uh... residual sugar you're bringing that in at
3: uh... residual and that's usually six to seven percent with a ten percent alcohol
1: Mm -hmm. well that's a good balance there i think if you can
2: keep that consistent
3: (laughs) (laughs) we we did an ice wine years ago um... that's it was picked at uh, what well, was pressed out at 44% sugar. Whoa. And we fermented that and we fermented that down to about a 10% alcohol and maybe 20% residual sugar. It was just Whoa. it was like liquid honey. Yeah,
1: but, 20%. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, it's nectar of the gods when you start you Yeah, well, it. Like that.
3: that's, that's that's a difficult fermentation when the sugars are that high.
1: I can imagine it is. Wow, 44% residual sugar. That's just unbelievable. People don't understand. Well,
3: that's, that's, that's the starting sugar. Say we ended up around 20.
1: Yeah, but still, I was starting it up at that oh. high. And it's just, it's, you're going, oh, my gosh. You know.
3: Yeah, most yeah. Uh, ice wines are starting you know, in the mid-30s or, or so when they're pressed out. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: this yeah. one is just
3: extremely high.
1: Yeah, you know, say forty four percent. Geez. Um, you have the yellowwood red too.
3: Mhm. That's Here. usually a blend, uh it's, it's a non vintage blend, stainless steel, no oak. And it's kind of around in that two and a half, three percent residual circus. So it's a very soft, uh, yeah. red wine. Easy drinking, pretty popular.
2: Yeah, you know,
1: I can imagine. But it's, it's got enough sweetness to it that people will enjoy it, but yet it's not sweet. And that, right.
3: Uh, well, we can get it into it the sweet ones. Come. <laughs> we are
1: we are we are heading for those right now. <laughs> sweet wine. That's right. Uh,
3: mm-hmm.
1: Vineyard white uh, Catawba. Uh,
3: Catawba. Yeah, we buy it from New York, and uh, you can buy a Catawba that is white or barely pink, and you can buy a Catawba that is fairly well pinked so we usually buy the lighter color uh, which is a little earlier harvest and it makes a nice uh, white we finish out of you know that six seven eight percent residual sugar Um, and then we do a vineyard rosé which is is from the same base wine but we use a little concord in it to pink it up Uh so it gives a little different flavor it's around the same sweetness though
1: Oh, you don't, it doesn't change the uh, residual sugars in oh.
3: No, they they finish out about the same. They have about the same pH and total acidity, so, you know, sweetnesses are going to be about the same. And then our Vineyard Red is just a straight Concord. You know, that's what people in the Midwest grew up on. Yeah. Um, people are always, always going to like Concord. Although yeah, in our I overall do. sales profile, it has actually been decreasing right. you know, as far as percentage of... So, you know, the U.S. palate has traditionally been pretty sweet.
1: Yes, it has. I mean, the U.S. palate has always been
3: sweet. Yeah, if you go back to country wines, as they're called, where people were making homemade wines, and they were picking grapes. uh, They had no canopy management. Clusters were hidden in the canopy, and they didn't really get that ripe. And so when they made wine, they had a lot of acid. And if you had no technology to speak of, the only way to uh balance that acidity was with sugar. Mm-hmm. And the only way to keep the sugar from fermenting was to have high alcohol. Mm-hmm. So you get these sixteen or eighteen percent sweet Concord wines as kind of the traditional country style wine. <laughs> <laughs> Going back two or three generations here. Yeah.
1: And there's still some wineries in the Midwest and Kentucky and different areas that make it like that too. I've I've talked to well uh, some. They,
3: yeah, uh, they, I mean, a lot of people that that's the bread and butter for the winery.
1: Yeah, yeah, and they, you know, I've uh, I know of in Kentucky that does that that is very sweet, very high alcohol, and mm-hmm. it, it sells like crazy. Since people just
3: yeah, yeah, they they can fly out the door. Here in Bloomington, we have the University, Indiana University, roughly forty some thousand students, and there's probably ten thousand international students here. So Bloomington has a fair international character to it, and you usually find your dry wine drinkers in urban areas, um, but Bloomington has a fair share of those people so our wine list is maybe skewed a little drier than if we were way out in the country here oh well, they gotta make the wines to to sell to the market uh, oh yeah yeah
1: I that that reminds me years ago uh, when I when I had the winery I had uh, some sweeter wines and I had this guy come in and says oh you know He says, if I had a winery, I wouldn't make any sweet wines at all. Every one of them would be bone dry.
3: And I go, (laughs)
1: yes. And as the people walk out the door, you'd be running after them saying, I can add sugar. I can make it sweeter. You know, because (laughs) I'm not going to buy them. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah. But, you know, I've been in this business 40-some years, and, uh, you know, things have changed quite a bit, especially with younger people who have more experience with wine. Um, So, you are we're shifting away from that uh, really sweet palate somewhat.
1: Yeah, you know, But it's still it's still inbred I think in the American American taste, you know, and especially Well we
3: grow up on yeah, we grew up on Coca Cola.
1: Yeah. And that's about ten
3: percent residual sugar.
1: Yeah. And even young kids now, I mean, you know I, I say young kids, I, you know, I'm an old man, so <laughs> uh but even you know Early twenties and stuff like that, they go down to Starbucks and they get themselves a coffee, but it's not a coffee, it's a sweet drink I mean it's
2: mm-hmm.
1: what it is, and so they go to a winery and they you pour them a dry wine, and it's like, ooh, you know do you don't you have anything sweeter and then you know you start getting sweeter and sweeter because this is what they know and, and so uh and I think it's uh affecting the sales of wine, because you see that the uh, Gen Y and Gen X are not buying as much wine, and I think it's because they uh, just grew up on the sweetness, and wine's Mm-hmm. aren't all sweet you know, all there there's
3: it. a lot of competition in the marketplace for people's beverage choices you know we have the power waters and carbonated this and that and flavored mm-hmm. waters and um so that, that's made a difference in all you know craft brewing uh craft distilling has taken uh some of the shine so uh it's, it's a hugely competitive market now
1: oh tremendous it's just uh and wineries are starting to feel the effects of that too, because as people only have so much discretionary dollars to spend on that stuff mm-hmm. I mean, after yeah. after rent and electric and gas and things that they have to pay, there's only so much discretionary money left over, and everybody's competing for that. And so,
3: right. Well, yeah. well, we know that you can go into a liquor store and you can buy wine cheaper than you know we can make it. Yeah, so part okay. of going to the winery is the experience. So we try to offer a really nice experience for people. And that's and, uh, really that,
1: an important thing about a winery, is that experience.
3: It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Um, you're you – uh, no, go ahead.
3: No, go ahead. Just, it looks like you're heading towards the fruit wines here on the list. I am.
1: I am. Okay. Uh, I, I, we just I, bottled uh, – uh, when i had the wine year i made some fruit wines too so these are always interesting to me when when i see fruit wines available um the blackberry yeah we we
3: just oh, blackberry. say we just bottled peach today but blackberry oh, is that? our single yeah blackberries our single biggest selling wine uh it's the main we we do some wholesaling and that's the main wine that goes through the wholesaler oh, but wow. um when you run across these fruit wines, um, they're not competing directly with things coming out of California not uh, no. so that you know we have all these fruits here in the midwest, you know peaches, blackberries, blueberries, currants, apple you know that's all available here um, so you know take a, take advantage of these things
1: did you fall down
3: no i'm in I'm in the uh, cellar, and there's actually a bottle that fell off the uh, off of something.
1: <laughs> oh, no. Didn't break?
3: Didn't break. Landed in good. the sink.
1: Oh, good. <laughs> okay.
3: Uh, so the blackberry,
1: yeah, uh, is it, uh, well, I see it says with a hint of tartness. Uh, what's the uh, uh, alcohol level on your blackberry? Uh,
3: the fruit wines, we do them all at 10.5%. Uh, oh, okay. When you take so the up alcohol up to 12 thirteen percent the alcohol kind of blows away the uh, fresh flavors of the fruits yeah the lighter ten and a half half.
1: you know I I kept mine down around I don't know eight and a half nine Mm
3: yeah there's
1: nothing wrong with that yeah I just you know didn't want the alcohol that bite in there I didn't want the fruit definitely to come out Mm -hmm. but uh, ten and a half that's where I noticed you said it the blackberry has that blackberry tartness, and that's probably a little bit of that alcohol popping in there.
3: Well, it, it's the it's the tartness from the fruit. We try to make the fruit wines like you are tasting the fruit, and you know blackberries have a little tartness to them. And if you hit that little the little point right between that sweet tart character, um, that's where we like to put it. So it doesn't really come across as tart, but it's not what you call syrupy sweet either
2: that's
1: good a lot of people yeah. make
3: fruit wines you know just way too sweet oh yes <laughs> at least for me for my taste. <laughs> me too yeah
1: So but again back to the fact that people like those and they look for those you
3: know um, mm-hmm.
2: your blueberry
1: indiana indiana grown blueberries that's cool <laughs>
3: Yeah, there's roughly, at least there used to be 900 acres of blueberries up in northern Indiana. Then that just goes on up into Michigan where there's even more blueberries. So we have a good supply of blueberries here.
1: I I guess whenever we see blueberries in the store, then that must be where they come from. Uh
3: Well, it could be. There there are blueberries grown in the South. Um, They're grown in South America. They're grown in New England. So it's a pretty widely distributed fruit.
1: Well, and there's there's a place not too far in, uh, north of us here that does blueberries, but there was an abundance of them about eight years ago, and they plowed under I don't know how many tons of blueberries because it was just they had no market for them. It was wow. just mm-hmm. Blueberries everywhere. And so, you know, it's it's the roll of the dice on that stuff.
3: Spiced apple. Does
1: spiced
3: like spiced some- apple fairly new one for us in yeah, you know, oh, four it? or five years maybe but uh, you know it's it's cinnamon nutmeg you know orange peel all those sorts of things um, you know, so we so just it make a, like spiced apple oh yeah it's uh, again a ten and a half percent we just make an apple wine and then we put the spices in it for about a week and ah, uh, there you go. filter it and bottle it so it, it's one of our coming up here in October will probably be one of our biggest sales for a month or so
1: Oh yeah, yeah, Halloween. Yeah. That sounds that sounds good. that spice apple does sound good. And then the peach, you just bottled that. Uh where you get your peaches? Yeah.
3: Um, we kind of buy peaches on the bulk market. Uh okay. we don't have peach orchards right around here. So it's something we can you know, you can go through a broker and get. Yeah. And we've not found a lot of difference. You know, there are different kinds of peaches. There's clings and freestones and stuff, but peach oh, okay. makes it fairly Delicate wine or lighter flavored wine, I would say. And that's probably our sweetest wine on the list because a lot of people mm. when they think of peaches, they they wanna open up that can of peaches and you've got lighter heavy syrup there. Yes. <laughs> yes. That that's, that's the flavor true. and the aroma they're looking for. <laughs>
1: and that's what people think. When they think of peaches, they think of that mm-hmm. that can mm-hmm. of syrup. <laughs> 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 that's funny that's, that's a good point point. Um, and then your specialty wines you got uh, three of those your late harvest is that uh, getting toward uh, ice wine style there
3: well that's uh, say it's six or seven percent residual so it's kind of the step before ice wine we're not you know it's not freezing on the vine we're not you know freezing it in a freezer um, so it's just a good, naturally sweet, very, very aromatic uh, when mm-hmm. vanilla is picked late. Very much that tropical finish, pineapple, pears. Yeah, so it's meat. been a good, steady one for a number of years. We've been making that for twenty-some years.
2: Oh, wow! Oh,
1: that sounds good. And late harvest, if it's done right, can really be a nice complement to, a, to a meal or dessert with some good cheesecake. Yeah. Um,
3: yeah. Exactly
1: a uh, sparkling wine i always i never did do a sparkling wine people always asked for it but i stayed away from it uh
3: we we made them in the early 80s when we first opened up mid 80s off and on up up to about the late 90s uh we've just gotten back into it again so this is a bottle fermented uh We have the Vidal, and we made a little bit of uh, Chamberson Rosé sparkling last year and sold out real quick. So we just bottled up another batch, and it's sitting on the yeast right now. Um, Sparklings are fun. Uh, They're fairly popular with young people. You know, they're Mm -hmm. not just for special occasions anymore, but um, fun wines to make.
1: I preach that on the show. Drink sparkling wines anytime that's uh, <laughs> only, always a fun wine to have yeah you
2: know,
1: uh, I never did attempt sparkling wine it just uh, that scared me so uh, black currant <laughs> I
2: did, I did yeah uh,
3: we make a, a session uh, of the obsession series, blueberry, Cherry, and Black currant, and these are all. The basic uh, fruits, and then we fortify them with brandy, so they're about 18% alcohol. So we're trying to put as much of the fruit flavor into these as we can. And we buy Indiana's entire production of black currants. We didn't this year, but in the past we have. So there's really one commercial grower in northern Indiana. And black currants are a very intense flavor. They're the strongest flavor of, you know, the red currants, gold currants, and such. So. Yeah, black
1: currants. They're good, though. Uh, black currants are Oh, I love good. the flavor.
3: A lot of people taste mm-hmm. them, and they're too tart. But, yeah, they're oh. wonderful.
1: They are. I think so, too. I'm right with you there. And then ports. Uh, ports. I love, love ports. Me, too. I made yeah, a strawberry the... port when I had the winery, and it, that was okay. a very, very big seller. You
3: know. So we make one we call Terra Rasa. That's the name of the uh, soil here, the red clay soils. And... Oh. Uh, it's uh the one we just bottled here recently was thirty thirty months in barrel. Usually we're about eighteen months, but we have one that's extended so Thirty months. Mhm. But uh, you know, chambersin is what we use for it. Um mm. so if you're comparing it, say, to a Portuguese port or something, it's coming from a grape with more tannins. Ours is less tannic, but we don't sweeten it up as much. Mm-hmm. So we're usually around 5 or 6% residual sugar, while other pork may be around 9%. Yeah,
2: wow.
1: well, so it, it's, uh, you're using that Chamberson uh, for everything. I mean, it seems to be your workhorse in the winery there. It
3: is, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: and then but the uh,
3: reds tend... The red grapes tend to be the least cold-hardy. Um, you know, whites generally are more cold-hardy, and that's what's one reason we're, uh, we make more whites than reds, I guess, when looking at the list, you know. You
1: know, the Chamberson is pretty pretty hardy, though, isn't
3: it? It is. Uh, you know, we, we probably the average age of a Chamberson trunk when it's replaced is probably about five years. Um, oh. a lot of crown gall damage in it um, so but say you just grew up a new sucker and the next year you've got an, a new They're trunk. so we yeah. can we can bring up a sucker in a vine that has a, a poor trunk take crop off of that poor trunk and then replace it with a new trunk the next year so you know we're never really missing uh, a crop if you no, it that way
2: no,
1: that's a good way to do it. Uh, the, here's another use of a black currant. You're making uh, port style wine out of it. that yeah,
3: would be really that good. Yeah, we, we want to make something uh, that's as, about as intense as you can make, and black currant is uh, is the one to do. It. You know, we're bringing we're picking grapes with about you know under one percent total acidity. Currants can come in around four percent total acidity. Wow, so they're almost like little little lemons in a way. So getting the acid <laughs> down and smoothing the wine out is really the the main operation in black currants. But uh, very intense flavors. You know, the, the fresh fruit is kind of like a piney, minty thing, and you put it in your mouth, and it just kind of explodes with flavor.
1: Yeah, yeah that's and that's black currant does that too. It's just it's got a great flavor to it. And then you got the last two the cherry and the blueberry seems like they are two different fruits for the same thing
3: Yeah, just like the blackcurrant obsession, Yeah. know, so we're taking okay. our base blueberry wine and we're uh, adding brandy to it And I know that yeah. some people if you've ever had a blueberry wine that's been in barrel. We have not done that but uh, I know in New England there are some great blueberry wines that are barrel-aged. So blueberry, I would say blueberry is the fruit that's closer to grapes than anything else as far as winemaking goes. Has really yeah, it has a fairly thick skin. It has more true. tannins to it. And a lot of fruits yeah. have, you know, the acids are just different. Uh, and blueberry is a fairly, fairly tame acid. You know, Blackcurrant has ascorbic acid, vitamin C in it
1: yeah no. so. no, that you know that's that's a good point though i never never considered blueberry being closer to the grape, but you're absolutely right it's it's thinking back of the flavors and tastes and the the skin thickness and all that The blueberry is very close mm-hmm. to the grape um, mm-hmm. uh, and I want to point out too your wines are all reasonably priced they're not outrageous uh, most of them are below fifteen until you get into the your your port style wines and then those mm-hmm. jump up, or uh, your sparkling wines a little bit higher. But sparkling wines usually are because it's more effort, and
3: it is. Oh, and the tax is twenty times as high. Hey, and the tax, we can't forget <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, yeah But you true.
2: know,
3: we really haven't had a price increase. We, we're, you know, we're looking at you know a year ago we started seeing the price increases. You know, bottles are thirty percent more everything's pretty much going up 30% in the last year and a half and uh, that is not really quite reflected in our prices yet because some of this we're selling you know in wineries you need a an inventory that's 18 months uh, Mm -hmm. so it takes a while for some of these costs to get passed through and we try to keep them reasonable Um,
1: they are you know we're not in
3: California we're not we're not selling $200 bottles of wine
1: oh yeah That's, that's a little bit ridiculous if you ask me yeah all yours are are, are really reasonably priced Uh, and uh, you mentioned bottles Um, I closed the winery in 2016 and the bottle prices were jumping up a lot when I closed I it was scary how much bottles were going to cost and Mm
3: -hmm. they've done
1: nothing but just continue to climb since then I don't see how wineries can survive just paying for bottles
3: Well, just getting bottles, you know, this year hasn't been bad, but the year or two before, you know, and everything was in shortage. um, Bottles were essentially rationed, you know, we deal with a wholesale supplier. And he said, you know, tell me what you need next year, because I need to know now um, (laughs) just to be able to get them in. So it's it's a totally different world.
2: Yeah,
1: we didn't see that
3: problem with cork so much, but bottles was the main problem.
1: Yeah, and I understand capsules, too, were having an issue. Somewhat,
3: yeah. What happened with bottles, the Chinese came into the market 10 years ago, and so a lot of big wineries went to Chinese glass, which was probably 20% cheaper or more. Mm -hmm. And then when China was cut off and nothing was coming in, the North American supply just couldn't supply the industry.
1: Yeah, there's just so much all of a sudden, now, you know, that's just about the time that, you know, like I say, about the time I closed wine in 2016, uh, bottle prices were outrageous, mm-hmm. you know. And I started to worry about how I was going to be paying for bottles, you know. Now, um, let's see, what else? Uh, let me get back up here to the top and see... Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, you have a wine club.
3: We do. Mhm.
1: Easy to uh, join,
3: no cost.
1: Oh, no cost. So right. basically,
3: you're you're getting a a case of wine a year. We do three uh, releases at four bottles each. So these okay. no no hurdles.
1: That makes it a lot easier. Uh, and you have. Uh, Basically, all of your wines over the period of the year ends up going out, uh, it looks like, on on this here, too. So, that's, you know, that's a good thing. Uh, well, Jim, I, before we go here, Mike, do you have any questions, comments to Jim before uh, we uh, no, say
0: goodnight? Um, no, I think, I'm, uh, I think I'm good. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's very interesting. Uh, good night. Okay.
1: Uh, Jim, before we let you go, what I would like you to do is give us all the pertinent information about Butler Winery. Uh, How to get a hold of you, what your web address is, Facebook, uh, phone numbers if you want to give it out, everything. And location and all that. So if anybody decides to order something or check out your website or visit, then they've got all the information that they want there. So if you give us all that, please.
3: Okay. So we're Butler Winery, located in Bloomington, Indiana, uh, 6200 East Robinson, uh, 8 or 9 miles northeast of downtown Bloomington. Uh, our website's butlerwinery.com. Our main phone number here is 812-332-6660. Um, If you want to order wine, you know, we go through Vino Shipper. We can ship to 30-some states. So if you go to our website, uh, you'll you'll find that Um, pertinent information. uh, We are on Facebook. Uh, I don't have much involvement with that myself, so I can't tell you too much more about it. We do music on Sunday afternoons, um, May through October. And we do all sorts of music, country, jazz, you know. Kind of music on the side. We don't we don't call it concerts, but uh, and we have a lot of outside seating. Um, we do some events here. We got an event coming up uh, in October for Wild Care. It's a charity event that we do every year.
2: Oh, very so
1: good. It, uh, are you open year round, or do you close in the winter months? We're open
3: year round. We're closed three days: Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's.
1: Oh, okay. Okay, because that's. Uh weather
3: weather affects
1: people in that area, and I just wondered if you have an
3: it it affects them in various ways after about the second or third day when they've been inside, they're just dying to get out and do something <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah yeah, absolutely right so it's,
3: it's the first it's the first day of snow, but after that you know they're gonna get out
2: <laughs>
3: get me out of here let's go to the winery, <laughs> mhm- exactly.
2: <laughs> All right, very good. Well,
1: Jim, thank you for taking your time to join us tonight. It was very, very educational. Yep. And uh, again, if anybody's interested in that book, uh, that sounds like that might be something that y'all can check out if you want to know something about Indiana or that area, Indiana wine: a history, and it's from Indiana University Press. So uh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, check that out. And uh, if you're ever up in that area, and if I'm ever up in that area, I will definitely stop by and visit you. Thank you so much. please stop in. It's been fun. It it has. You don't require reservations for tasting, do you?
3: No, we don't. Um, For groups of eight people or more, we don't call it a reservation, but it's nice if you notify us because then we can kind of help arrange the seating. For walk-ins, we don't really do reservations.
1: All right. A lot of places do, and that's why I'm asking now. Uh, they...
3: Yeah, we've got enough seating outside. Um, we haven't had that trouble. We can put tables up in the cellar and such. So maybe oh, someday great. we will. I don't know. <laughs> There's always that hope. <laughs> we are so busy.
1: <laughs> so, All right, Jim, thank you for taking your time, and uh, hopefully we'll have an opportunity to visit you and uh, talk in person one day.
3: Okay, please do. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Thank you. you
0: know, Thank good you. night. Thank you. All right. Well, wow. okay. um, there it goes.
1: It's got a lot of lots of different hmm. wines there. That you know, uh, and y- y- a credit to the American wines too. American grapes. I mean, he's he's talking about the the French hybrids, but he's also putting a lot of American fruit in the ground, and that's. You know something you mm-hmm. expect from the Midwest there, and that's that's nice.
2: So yeah. So you were, you were thinking uh, you were
0: checking. You were talking about, or, or the name was Clark Smith uh, that I had Smith. on the show. He was an expert. Yeah, a- expert on yeah. Native American grapes. And yeah, was I, about, I, was I, like, oh, I It was. It was yeah. Kind of, yeah. yeah,
1: you know, two months, I think, since he was on. But, I, you know, I, somebody on last week, and I tend to forget names. I'm horrible, yeah. horrible about that. I really am.
2: You know,
1: I, I get on the golf course, and somebody passes, Hi, Ron, how are you doing? And I go, uh, Hi, buddy. Hi, guy. Hi, you know, pal. Hi. You know, I don't remember names.
2: Yep. So. <laughs> yeah. That's all right.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, oh, before we go, let me mm-hmm. jump in on finishing this article here quickly. It's uh, about uh, the uh, private labels. It says uh alcohol assortments are showcasing domestic and international wines, including wines from South Africa and Western Eastern Europe. Um uh, Plus, sparkling wines, box wines, organic, and fair trade wines. These are all being private labeled. Uh convenience store chain, Circle K, debuted a private label wine, Sunshine Bliss, in Chardonnay, Moscato, and other varietals. Albertsons introduced the Vinifour Collection. Uh, Gelson's Markets in Southern California added four wines to its store brand, uh, Napa Valley Collection. And there's uh, stores all over uh, the country that are doing their own private labels, and they are doing quite well, and they're finding that the markup for doing private labels is much better than if they sell name wines, and it's not taking away from the sales a lot of the name wines, but it is boosting their sales, so... Private labels, it's been around. When we had the winery, we were looking at doing a private label for uh, for Albertsons. Or, no, Cash and Curry. Cash and Curry. We uh, talked with them and uh, was almost in the works. And trouble is, whenever you start dealing with grocery stores, the people you talk to six months from now, they may not be there. They're promoted and transferred and all that. And we went through... Yeah four different people over a period of like a year that we had to do the presentation all over again and convince them how good it would be and all that and then finally uh cash and carry started getting in trouble and and so they decided to close down a lot of the stores so but yeah the, the private label is very very popular in this country when you walk in you see it it's If you look on the back, you can usually see the parent company, but uh, it's not required. A lot of them put it on there, but it's not required. There
0: you go. Um, That's good stuff. uh, Now that was something else. uh, I can't remember. Um, Well, it is uh, – they're almost in sync. It is 8.15 p.m. (laughs) Eastern Time. And uh, we will have uh, a show next week, which is the 28th, the last Tobin. Thursday of September. Is it what? Tobin? Tobin oh, he's will coming? be our guest next week. Oh. Oh. Remember
1: wow, oh, uh, we a have... few weeks ago, we had uh, Tobin's yep. brother on the show from that movie. And Now, Tobin is going to be our guest, and Tobin was it was his house that was used for the uh, majority of the movie i can't think of the movie i told you i'm terrible on names uh, but uh tobin was uh, be Harry Shum- yes.
0: yeah Terry shumrick was yes and i'm trying to oh yeah. you know, gosh i know here somewhere is one of these things uh scroll up and take notes page 400 <laughs> page 900 flip. <laughs> 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 what Terry Movie uh brother uh, there it is. Um Terry Shumrick uh, wine thief. Um yeah, wine wine thief. Maker. yeah Yeah, wine the wine thief movie. Um yeah. and this Tobin is a
1: brother who well it was his house that was used and all that. And Tobin is the winemaker of uh well, of fame, so he'll be on next week and uh, be able to talk cool. with us about the about the movie some more and also about his wines and all that. so should be fun next yeah, week
0: awesome. we'll look so, forward to that so um go. Tune in on uh, september twenty eighth and uh seven p m eastern time if you want to catch it live, which is preferable but you know that's okay um delayed or or rebroadcast or archives are always good too so we appreciate it uh lots we'll go of places. And, yes lots of places uh we'll close the show out for this saturday and uh we'll talk to you all next uh, for this thursday we'll talk to you all this next thursday. thursday it's
2: so. your
1: <laughs> it's your flight line regular on saturday this is
0: thursday <laughs> <laughs> We're, <laughs> okay.
1: Which is a, subtle, a subtle, way of getting another plug-in for Flightline Radio live Saturday yeah. mornings,
0: from nine, from seven to not, nine. Not intentional. All right. Have a good one. Oops, have, have a, a good week. Out. Yeah. Be safe. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host Ron. For show information. H to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash All About Wine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. I forgot to turn the mic back on. Okay. I bring them real quick.